Indeed, what a wonderful, merciful Savior we have. So we mentioned last week we are starting, uh, we're taking a break for a little while from the book of Romans and uh, doing a series on the church. And uh, a late medieval manuscript was found that contained this quote about the church. The church is something like Noah's Ark. If it weren't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the smell inside. It was in a, church was in a pretty deplorable state back then in the medieval ages. But it's also not very highly regarded, esteemed in our own time. Church is seen as being outdated, irrelevant, hypocritical, closed, judgmental, and uncool. And that's what people inside the church are saying. Doesn't get any friendlier outside. But it seems to me that the church has never been very popular with the world or with those who seek the world's ways. Fact is, John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, the reason that there's the opposition is because of of Christ. If we never stood for Christ, and never stood for anything, then the world would have no resistance to the church. I'm much more interested in what God thinks about the church than what mere mortals think. What, what is his opinion? How does the Lord view his church? Surely, in many ways, he would have much more to say against the church. He would be much more able to find fault with the church than anyone else and yet the remarkable thing is that the Lord consistently loves his church the the New Testament has a variety of ways to describe the relationship of of God to his people the church God is the father and we are his Children, in fact, brothers and sisters in Christ in an eternal relationship with Him. God is the vine dresser and we are His vineyard. Christ is the great shepherd and we are His sheep. We are we're the building that's being built up and He is the foundation and cornerstone of that building. And all of those uh, Descriptions would be worthy of taking some time to explore, but today I want to look at two others in particular, and that is the church is the bride of Christ, and the church is the body of Christ. So, first of all, the church as the bride of Christ, if you would turn to Revelation chapter 19. We want to go to uh, the end of time here. Well, not quite the end. This is before the millennial kingdom, but right before the millennial kingdom comes. 
as the Lord prepares to return to this earth to establish his kingdom in Revelation 19, we are treated to an amazing scene unfolding in heaven just before that great event. Revelation 19, let's start at verse 4. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Verse 7, Let's be glad and rejoice and give God glory. Why? Because the marriage or the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. This is the event has finally arrived. God has been preparing the church, the bride of Christ, all these years since the cross for this moment yet to come in heaven when we will participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the church is surely the bride of Christ. Now, you have... uh, witness weddings perhaps even recently uh, if you were here for Cody and Dania's wedding uh, just uh, two or three weeks ago um, <clears throat> usually you know we have the, the sanctuary separated into just two sections so we have a central aisle and I want you to kind of picture that uh, a wedding scene the guests are seated and we're getting ready for the wedding march and the, the bride is now coming down the aisle And everybody stands up, and what do they do? They look back at the bride, right? And for just a glorious few moments, and I always tell the bride to walk slowly, to to milk it for all you can. (laughs) I mean, you bought that dress. It it cost your dad a fortune. And you took all the time to get to this point to come down the aisle. Do it slowly. Milk it. You know, just... Enjoy the moment. And everyone is watching the bride come down the aisle. I always, whether I'm up here or down watching it, I always like to watch the groom. <laughs> Try that. You, you see various expressions, but usually it's, it's like, wow, I get that. They are, they're just awed at it, you know. It's, it's, a, it's just a wonderful moment when he sees her. Just, if you could just capture that moment, okay? So you're there in your mind, you've kind of captured that. 
Now imagine someone in the audience starts hurling insults at the bride. And then someone else chimes in. Yeah, not only that, but she's... And someone else. That is what is happening today. As Christ, the bridegroom, is looking forward to his bride coming to him, there are people, even inside the church, who are hurling insults at his bride. Revelation 19 is a picture of how this will be. This is going to happen. If you are a believer in Christ, you're going to partake of this moment, this this marriage supper, this coming together with the Lord and uh, all the glory that will be surrounded in that. For now, we're still in the um, anteroom getting makeup on, so to speak, getting ready for the moment. We're, we're not there yet, but it's coming. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this series on the church and this message today. That picture of the bride coming to the groom, that's how Christ sees us, his church. Okay? We're not there yet, but he already counts it as so. Let's go to John chapter 2, verse 25. Just a a little bit from the friend of the bridegroom. Here's like the best man at the wedding, John the Baptist. If your notes say John 2.25, ignore that. That's the last verse of that section. <laughs> Go to John 3. <laughs> then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Like the followers of John, his disciples are saying, what are we going to do about this? We're losing our following. Everyone's starting to go to to Jesus and his disciples now. They're, They're all going to him. John said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And John was sent to prepare the way of, of Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. But notice verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him. Now picture this. This is... This is the best man here. The, the groom, is, groom is here watching the bride and the best man, the friend of the bridegroom, bridegroom is right here with him. He, he's not trying to take the bride away. He's rejoicing with the bridegroom. This is your day. He's happy for him. This is what John is saying. I'm, I'm happy for 
the bridegroom who is Christ, that the bride is coming to him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that is how it ever is with us. Christ must increase in our life and take over more and more and we must decrease. John was specifically talking about his personal ministry. He realized that Christ's ministry must increase and and it was a good thing that people were coming. Christ is drawing his his bride to himself. But this is how it works. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 We'll read about the betrothal of the bride. Second, Second Corinthians 11. Now, back in these days, a betrothal was kind of like an engagement. And we talk about someone being engaged today, and that means they have the intention of getting married perhaps they've set a date and they're moving toward that but so a betrothal was similar to what we call an engagement but it was much more binding it was it was almost as if they were already husband and wife at the time of of the covenant of the betrothal the betrothal meant they were one They hadn't come together yet as man and woman. They weren't living together or anything like that. But they had some time um, to prepare. And the husband usually in this this time, perhaps as long as a year, would go and build a home to which he would bring his bride. And it reminds us of John 14 where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, the, the bride, the church. that where I am you may be also and he's one day going to come and receive us to himself when Joseph was uh, betrothed to Mary and it turned out that she was pregnant before he understood what happened we read in Matthew that, that Joseph was minded or he was of a mind to put her away to divorce her privately Now, they hadn't been married yet. They were just betrothed. But you see how strong a connection the betrothal was. To to break a betrothal was the same as getting a divorce. That's how serious it was. So, the betrothal was like an engagement, even, even more binding back then. Well, keep that in mind as we look at 2 Corinthians 11. Paul says, oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
the simplicity, meaning the, the sincere and pure devotion that we should have in Christ. So what Paul is writing to this church at Corinth is, uh, I have betrothed you to Christ. You're, you're like a, the bride of Christ. You're betrothed to him. The marriage hasn't happened itself yet. The marriage ceremony hasn't taken place, but you're betrothed, and I want to present you as a, a pure virgin. I don't want you to be stained by this world. What happened in the first marriage ever? Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve. And the serpent entered in, and their thinking was corrupted, and they followed their own wills. And verse 3, I fear lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds might be corrupted from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We are betrothed to, to Christ. We are in this betrothal period. We are his bride, and he is going to bring us to that moment of the, the consummation of it. And, and for now, it's God's desire that we keep unspotted from the world. And especially watch out for doctrinal error, wrong thinking, bad theology, which corrupts our minds and our thinking to allow us to act in a way that is unbecoming of the bride of Christ. In fact, in the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So while we're in this betrothal period, we need to guard our hearts and our minds, our thinking. And finally, Ephesians 5, if you go there, as we read about how Christ redeems and prepares his bride. Ephesians 5. <clears throat> Notice verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Most often when we look at this passage, Ephesians 5, 22 and following, it's in relationship to a husband-wife situation. I use it heavily in doing premarital counseling and even marital counseling of what God's purpose is for husband and wife in marriage. But what Paul is saying here, this is, this is a mystery in this, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Yes, we, we gain a lot of biblical wisdom about how husbands relate to wives and vice versa, but we also see some wonderful things about how Christ relates to his bride, the church, in this passage. 
So verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The church being the wife, the bride of Christ, he, he gave himself for her. And how did he give himself? Well, primarily on the cross, being crucified for her. That's the self-sacrificing love of Christ for his bride. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. To, to sanctify means to, he, he sets her apart as being special for himself. He sanctifies her, sets her apart. He, he cleanses her. Notice it's with the washing of water by the word. It's not by the washing of blood. Why? because the bride has already been brought to Christ and saved. Washed by the blood once, cleansed for all time from our sin. But even though we are declared righteous, justified, we still sin as we walk through this world and how God continues to cleanse us from day to day is the washing of water by his word. He uses his word to cleanse us. As John 17 says, 17, Jesus says, God sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So his truth God uses to, to cleanse us, to sanctify us. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish or perhaps uh, blameless. Notice uh, just in passing that this, this involves the past ministry of Christ in verse 25. He loved the church and he gave himself for it. That's what he did in the past to redeem us. Verse 26 is his present ministry as he continues to wash us with the water of the word and sanctify us. So we have the justification, verse 25, the sanctification, verse 26, and then verse 27, the glorification, which comes later, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's the picture in, in Revelation 19 that we began with. That's the glorious church. She, she now has come out of the anteroom. She's coming down the aisle and She's glorious without any spot or any such thing. Perfect. The perfect bride. Now he's still working on her to bring her to that point, And he unfailingly will. The same as he's working in your life. As a believer in Christ, you know that you're not perfect. And if I talk to your husband or wife, I'm sure I could find out details. You're, you're not perfect. But Christ hasn't given up on you, has he? And isn't that a blessed truth for you? That he will never give up on you. And he who began the good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will, will complete it until the day of Christ, till, till that moment when he presents you to himself. In the same way that he works on you individually, he works on us corporately together. Verse 29, 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. The Lord our Savior nourishes us with the good things of his word, and he cherishes his church. When you cherish something, you, you treat it as special, you treat it as precious. This is how husbands are to treat their wives as, as precious. This is how Christ views his church. She is precious to him. He cherishes her. And that's how we ought to view the church, as Christ does. We ought to love the church because Jesus loves her. Secondly, today, consider that the church is not only the bride of Christ, the church is the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12. For I say, oh, starting at verse 3 of Romans 12. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, meaning reasonably, using sound judgment, to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Don't don't be high-minded about yourself. Be humble in your own opinion, remembering that God has given to each one of us the measure of faith that we have. The only reason that we are the bride of Christ or part of the body of Christ is by God's grace, right? He even gave us the faith to exercise to believe in Him. He has given to us, dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So he's using the analogy of a physical body. It's, this is just one body here, all making up Gary Crandall. And, but this one body has lots of different parts to it. And all the members make up the one body now Paul further elaborates on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 so let's go there First Corinthians 12 and we'll, we'll start at verse 20 uh, excuse me start at verse 12 1 Corinthians 12 12 now there, there will be a whole message on 1 Corinthians 12 later on in this series so we'll spend a lot more time there we'll just kind of run through a few things real quickly for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ again saying the same kind of thing basically as Romans 12 uh, 5 says one body, many members. Verse 13, for, here's why that is true. 
For by one spirit, namely the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Doesn't matter what your background is, Paul says, whether you were Jew or Gentile, whether you were a slave or a free man, those things don't matter. We are all baptized into one body and have all been made to drink of one spirit. So this is what's called spirit baptism. This is what happens the moment a person becomes a believer, the Holy Spirit places you into that's what the word baptize means the Greek word baptizo simply means to immerse to dunk to place into uh, we're going to have a baptism service here in a little while and these, these folks are going to be placed into the water they're going to be immersed into the water well when we became believers, when you became a believer, you were at that moment placed into the body of Christ. And that's how it's described here. For by one spirit, we were all, using the literal meaning of the word baptized, we were all placed into the body of Christ. So we, we become immediately a part of the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. There's no such thing as having a believer who is not part of the body of Christ. Verse 14, for in fact the body is not one member but many. <clears throat> now it goes back to the, the imagery of a, of a body being composed of many different parts or members. <clears throat> For if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, is it therefore not the body? If the hand says, gee, I wish I was a foot, because I'm not a foot, I'm not going to be part of the body anymore. And Paul is saying, that's, that's silly to think that way. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? That's silly. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, that would just be weird. <laughs> and can you picture an eyeball? No hands, feet, head, arms, nothing, just an eyeball rolling around. Did you hear that? I don't have an ear, I can't hear. If, if the whole body was an eye, Paul says then, not only would that be weird, but where would be the hearing? Okay, so the, the eyeball has got to have an ear to be able to hear. Okay, so we've established that. It's got to have at least an ear. But does it need something else? Maybe it needs a companion eyeball to help it focus. Maybe it, ne maybe it needs feet, legs, arms to get around, a brain to make it work, optical nerves so it can work too. It needs the other members. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But 
But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Whether you're a hand or foot or an eye or an ear or this little piggy that went to market, whatever your part of the body is, God has set you in the body just as it pleased him. So don't fret saying, I'm not a hand or I wish I were an eye or you are what you are. You are placed into the body on purpose by, by God in his sovereign choice. Verse 19, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. So we are, we are made to be mutually dependent one, of, one to another. We are not designed to be individual, isolated believers doing our own things, but we were purposely designed to be mutually dependent a, a believer on their own should be as, as strange as you walking down a sidewalk and finding an arm lying on the sidewalk. Imagine this, you're walking down a sidewalk and there's an arm. Wouldn't you think, uh, this is strange. Did someone lose this? this? This belongs to somebody. I mean, wouldn't you report it or something? This, this shouldn't be, there shouldn't just be an arm on the sidewalk. There's something wrong with that. Well, the same thing is true in the body of Christ. If parts of the body are disjointed, cut off from the body and have nothing to do with the body, that's a strange thing. It shouldn't be that way. And um, we are going to skip number three, the Ephesians five, uh, excuse me, Ephesians four, because um, Pastor Jeremy is going to talk at length <laughs> about Ephesians 4 in a, in a few weeks, so I'll, I won't steal any of that thunder. And the time presses on. But it again reinforces the idea that we have mutual ministry and it is towards Christ-likeness till we all come to the likeness and stature of Christ what Ephesians 4 talks about building each other up in love speaking the love and truth that we may all be edified but I want to end with thinking about not only is there a body but there's, there's a head to the body and the head of the body of Christ is Christ himself in a similar way that we would say the, the foundation and the cornerstone of the building is Christ, he holds it together. So it is with the body of Christ, there's one head and he rules the body. He gives it direction, guidance. He, he's the one that we look to for how we should work and operate. And the head directs us. Well, we'll look at a couple of passages briefly in Ephesians 4.15. But, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Chapter 5, verse 23. 
For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Now go two chapters to the right, I mean two books to the right, to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and starting at verse 15. Speaking of Christ, it says that he is the image of the invisible God. That is, he displays what God is. Jesus said, in fact, in John 17, uh, 14, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created he's the creator all things were created by him Uh, things that are in heaven things that are on earth whether visible or invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things that means he is the eternally existing one and in him all things are held together all things consist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have the preeminence the word preeminence simply means uh, first place or highest order. <clears throat> he is the head of the body so that in all things he should have first place. If you read books on ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, there's always debate over the best systems of government, uh, Congregational or elder led or presbytery or deacon board or church board or whatever. And, and those have their place in discussion. And I, I have my own opinion as to what I believe the Bible says, but I'll tell you this the most important thing, no matter what the structure of the church is, is that they recognize Christ as head of the church. Without that, you could have a perfect structure in the church as far as organization, and it would not be right. It would be dishonoring to God. The the most important thing for us as a body of believers is that we agree together that Christ is the one head of this church. He is the one who has the right to direct us. He and he alone. And we are going to be submissive to the Lord of the church, Christ the head, in all things that he would have first place. I, I believe that there is that kind of a commitment here. I believe that that is the mindset of this body of believers. I just want to encourage us to, to guard that, to maintain that as we move forward. We are the body of of Christ during a vacation Bible school a class of five year olds was interrupted by the arrival of a a new person and this little boy who came in had one arm missing 
the teacher didn't have an opportunity to to learn anything about him he, he simply arrived and was there as an adult the teacher was was concerned that somehow somebody was going to say something or do something that would make this little boy feel uncomfortable but things went along okay and finally the end of the class came she started to feel more relieved and she said uh, uh, class let's do our usual closing um, activity let's build our churches here's the church and here's the steeple open it up and see all the people and as she did that she realized she had made the mistake she had done what she feared the others would do she she excluded this little boy from an activity which called for two good hands and as the teacher stood there speechless not knowing what to say in the moment a little girl next to this boy put her left hand up against his right hand and said here Davy, let's build the church together that's how God wants us to to view ourselves being willing to to help build the church together because you see the truth is we're all handicapped we are the handicapped one all of us are missing parts that only you can provide and if you are not here if you are not plugged in if you don't reach out your hand then we miss that and we can't grow together we need you and you need us to together be the body of Christ let's pray Lord as in your infinite wisdom and grace you have called us to be your body to to serve together in the joy of being submissive to you as our head and and ministering to one another and Lord we are all handicapped and and you have done that on purpose that that we might sense our need for each other oh Lord that that we would truly understand that today and the days going forward and that you designed for us to also minister to others who are likewise handicapped in their own way Lord you also call us your bride you will one day present us to yourself a glorious church without having wrinkle or spot or any such thing but that we should be holy and blameless in your sight and as we think about your bride the church as we go through this series may we regard that that thought of Revelation 19 that moment of coming together for the the marriage supper of the lamb and know what what you are doing what you are leading us to that we might 
uh, yield ourselves to you in this process. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.